Welcome back to the Simple Farmhouse Life podcast. I have a great interview for you today. Becca Merkel, or she's really Rebecca Merkel, but I think she goes by Becca, and I are going to chat about the meaning in homemaking, the beautiful pursuit that it is, and how we've gotten this wrong as a culture over very many years. It's a long history of how we have resigned ourselves to this role being something that, meh, it's it's just something God just wants people to do. It's not really a valuable one. Well, we are going to destroy that notion if you had it. And maybe you didn't totally have it, but there's some there's some things that you might not even realize that you think about that topic that you have some biases on. So without further ado, let's jump into this great conversation. My name is Lisa, mother of seven and creator of the blog and YouTube channel Farmhouse on Boone. Join me as I share with you my love for creating a handmade home from scratch cooking and a little mom and entrepreneur life along the way. Hi, Rebecca, and I think you go by Becca, correct? Yes. Yeah, okay. Becca's great. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining me. We can start with introductions for those who don't know you. Tell us about your your books, your film, your mission, whatever else you want to share, your family. All right. Thanks so much for having me on. Um, yeah, Rebecca Merkel, and I am married to Ben Merkel. He's the president of New St. Andrews College, which is a small Christian liberal arts college. We've got five children who are now basically all young adults. So they're all, you know, it's grad school, engaged, married, you know, we're in that kind of exciting phase. I have written a few books. The one I think you probably want to talk more about is Even Exile. I wrote that a few years ago. Really, it's just kind of trying to engage with the question of (laughs) What are women for? Um, We live in an age where that's really despised, where homemaking is despised, where just role of wife and mother is seen as really embarrassing and not something you'd want to admit to unless that was kind of like a little side gig that you do. And then your real thing is over here somewhere else. So it's just kind of that book went through kind of history of brief, brief history of feminism how did we get where we are? What can we do to recover just a more biblical approach to what is a woman? And that is a, a question that our culture is struggling with right now, is what even is a woman in the first place? And what are we for? Mm-hmm. What are we good at? What were we created to do? So that's called Even Exile. It more recently got turned into a documentary, also called Even Exile. And that's just kind of going through the book, but with a more visual side to it, obviously. So, Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, what inspired this episode is I was listening to an interview you did on another podcast where you were talking about how in the Christian culture, we've basically adopted the same feminist idea about homemaking. So a lot of times with feminism in our day and age, staying at home, being a homemaker, really has been reduced down to something that is just like cooking, cleaning, repetitive stuff, very meaningless. But as Christians, we've kind of adopted the same thing. We just decided that although it is really dumb and lame, it's just something that we have to do. And so this is what we're called to. I guess God doesn't really think much of women, much of homemakers or moms in general. So we kind of see it 
the same way, just accept that we are going to do it anyway. And you have <laughs> rejected that idea. And am I getting this right? Can you explain how we have this all wrong? Yeah. Well, yes. And I think that that is something I feel like I kind of realized back when I was in college, we had some friends who were kind of on the more ultra conservative side of things who had moved to town briefly. And so I was kind of exposed to this version of conservative Christianity that I that's not how I was raised. And, and it was this rejection of feminism. So it's like, okay, good job on that. But it was completely embracing all of the stereotypes, all the lies that the feminists told. It's meaningless work that doesn't require a brain. So why educate your daughters? And they were like, yeah, so mm -hmm. we're, that's why we're just not going to give our girls an education. It was like, <laughs> what? Yeah. <laughs> and because, and it was like, because they're going to just be a mom. And it was so weird to me that it was like, that's the poison of feminism is that lie. And it was like, they mm -hmm. agreed with the feminists, but they just thought for some reason, God wants us to do it that way, I guess. So, I mean, in one sense, it's like, well, points for trying to be obedient anyway. <laughs> but I just think that that is so weird to adopt that feminist version of what our calling is and then just say, yeah, well, we like we like it that it's brainless and meaningless. And so I, it was really odd. And I just remember feeling like that was such a strange thing to see, like the feminists and the conservatives are apparently agreed on the substance. It's just they react to it differently on an emotional level. So it's like the feminists react mm -hmm. out of it and they run, get a job. And then the ultra conservatives just embrace it. And it just felt like, no, 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 no. If you're going to object to feminism, object to it on the principial level and engage there. So Yeah. And I don't think I had put this on the original outline, but I know that you and your family have a history with education and classical education. I guess let's briefly go into that because you mentioned yeah. that at that time you realized that there were some people who were like, we're not even going to educate our daughters because yeah. they're just going to be a mom yeah. in this meaningless role. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. And I do think that is a, it, it is something that is a struggle because after a century of just the feminist onslaught, right? I mean, it's been a century of lies being told about this. I think a lot of Christians really don't know what to do because they do think, well, we want to give our daughters an education because what if their husband dies mm -hmm. and someday they need to get a job or they need to support their family? And I'm like, that is so weird to think like someday they may have to fall back on having a brain. Um, <laughs> it's so funny. So we absolutely have given our girls an education and we hope and pray that they will be wives, mothers and homemakers and that that education is to equip them in that role. It's not to equip them if that falls through and they have, <laughs> and they have to go to a plan B somewhere. It's believing that that this role, this calling is is a very high calling and you can be high achieving in it or you can be you know, a schlub. <laughs> and right. so why would we want to raise our our girls to do the the lowest, you know, possible job 
at something. It's like, no, I want them to see that this is a huge field with so much scope and so much room for women to be excellent and excellent in a place where we actually are very equipped to be excellent. I mean, obviously, women are capable of a great deal. And we've just been taught that the home is not worth expending any talent or energy on. And so I want my girls to reject that and to just see if they can run in this field and take back what our culture has really lost. Okay, yeah. All right, I'm gonna take a quick break to tell you about the Modern Homestead Conference. If you are trying to learn all the things when it comes to homesteading, from gardening to having a family dairy cow, to figuring out pastures and all of the nitty gritty details that go into it, then it's important that you build a community around that endeavor. I know the times that I've learned the most about something has been whenever I talk to other homesteaders, whether it be the community of people I've built in my area, I have some friends and we send each other the dimensions of our cow milking stanchions or whenever I met some friends when we first got our dairy cow and they came over and showed us everything we need to know. I've also built so many great connections and community through the online world. Like when the homesteading family came out to our house last spring and we shot a vegetable fermentation video, I learned so much from those in-person interactions. And that's why going to conferences is so important. I know this from my own experience with blogging. In the early years of my blogging journey, I went to every conference I could. It took a lot of investment for me to travel there, but I made connections that I still talk to every single week. We bounce ideas off each other. I learned the most from those relationships, and that's why these kind of things are so important. So the Modern Homestead Conference is held in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. It's a live two-day event with expert speakers, including Joel Salatin. If you're in the homesteading world, you've definitely heard of him. The homesteading family, which like I said, I've met in person, Melissa K. Norris. We've been on each other's podcast and we chat all the time. So she's a connection I made. And of all trades, Farmstead Meets Smith and many more. Not only will you gain valuable knowledge and skills to help you live a more self-sufficient lifestyle, but you'll also have the opportunity to enjoy a concert by Grammy award-winning farmer and filmmaker Rory Feek. Classes include raising a family milk cow, on-site live butchering and curing, talking about homestead income, four season gardening, cheese making, homeschooling, sustainable agriculture, so much more. It's a whole lifestyle and there are going to be experts in all of those. Plus, you'll probably learn a lot just from walking around and running into the other conference attendees. I know that happens to me. I go to the speaker sessions, but then I actually meet people who become fast friends that we actually communicate after that. You don't want to miss out on this unique event. You can get your tickets now at modernhomesteading.com. They have their early bird pricing through February 13th. So this might be a last minute decision for you. But if you want to get on the early bird pricing before February 13th, again, go to modernhomesteading.com. I know that you will learn so much. I know sometimes this kind of thing can be scary to embark on, especially if you go by yourself or just you and your husband. But I have never come away from something like this without more value than the investment I put in. So I highly encourage you again to go to modernhomesteading.com to learn more about the Modern Homestead Conference that is coming up this summer in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. So a few things that that brings me to. One is how 
your kids are mostly grown at this point, or at least, you know, young, newly out of the house, maybe. How did that look in the style of education? And then the the follow-up to that is, which I'll I'll just ask that after that. Yeah, you can uh, tell me how that that looked if we're, I have a lot of homeschooler audience because that's, that's what I am. And so I attract a lot of that. And so I think there, there is like this, okay, well, how do we actually train them so that it's not like the traditional education, but also have them be very equipped for this excellence that you're talking about? Right. Well, our kids, we have a classical Christian school here in town that I went through K to 12. My dad was a founder of that school and it opened my kindergarten year. So it was really wonderful that my kids went through the same school I did. I mean, some of the same teachers were there is fantastic. But I mean, my mom taught me, my dad taught me. And then I was a teacher. I taught all five of my kids as they were going through high school. I was teaching lit and various things. But we did live in England for three years when the kids were little, and I homeschooled while we were there because there was just not a Christian option that we were going to, you know, we were just not going to consider the English schools. I mean, <laughs> if we don't consider the American public schools, how much more <laughs> the English oh, ones? Yeah. <laughs> and um, so anyhow, we homeschooled for three years while we were there. That was a wonderful experience. It was fantastic. Um, But they were elementary age at that time. And then when we came home, they went back into the school. And it's, it's just a thoroughgoing Christian education where the school's mission is trying to apply Christianity and and Christian worldview thinking to every single subject. It's not a basically here's just generic education, but we slap a Bible class on. It's trying to teach math like a Christian trying to teach science like a Christian, literature like a Christian. And so we want them to see every facet of creation as under the Lordship of Jesus Christ and understand the implications of that and not just have a sort of superficial Christianity, basically. We want them to see Christ's Lordship as applied to every part of life. And so that's what their education looked like. It was rigorous. It's a tough school. They, you know, learned Latin and they've all had various other language things. They, it's, it's a tough school. And, and we wanted our girls to get that same thing. We wanted them to know literature and poetry and math and science because they're called to take dominion and dominion means, you know, everything. So anyway, that was, that was what our experience was. Yeah. Um, and I always kind of laughed. It was like, it, it, some level, it still was sort of like homeschooling. It's just, I had my kids' friends in the classes too. <laughs> right. <laughs> With you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I know uh, something that a lot of people around here do is classical conversations, yeah. which is a similar style. Just once a week, you get together with other yeah. uh, homeschoolers and add to the classical style education. Definitely. And there's a lot of homeschoolers now that are doing the classical method as well. Lots of classical schools are springing up. So yeah, it's great. My son is teaching some online classes for homeschoolers. Yeah. So there's a lot of great options. Cool. Okay. You talked about pursuing excellence in the field of being a mother and a homemaker. What are some examples of those types of pursuits? Because this is probably foreign to most of us, whether we've embraced this role or not. Right. How does that even look? I, you know, I think that that is 
a tricky question because I think the field is so wide that it can look different, you know, depending on where you live, who's your husband, what's, who are your kids, what is your situation. I think that we tend to want to, I think humans just tend to want to, to get the, like, just show me the checklist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'll do it. And then I'll be good. You know, there's something reassuring about someone who gives you the checklist, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because yeah. then you can grade yourself and you know, you're all right. Right. But I just think this field is so huge and it's going to take so many women rolling up their sleeves and being willing to throw themselves at it and be creative and be innovative. Because I do think that one of the things I, I do have a section that talks about this in my book, I think there's a tendency to look at our current culture. Homemaking is despised. Nobody knows how to do anything anymore for themselves. Everything is so easy, right? Like mm-hmm. you could survive off of Uber Eats and <laughs> Netflix and you could just just sit around and never do anything and have it all brought to you. Like life is actually kind of easy. And so I think it's it's easy to sink down to that. But if mm-hmm. women are are willing to like look around them and think, okay, how can I innovate and achieve in this era, because it's easy to think, well, you can't really now. So what I'm going to do is pick an era of the past where it seemed like women were doing what they should be doing. And then I'm going to adopt that. Like I'm going to dress like Mm -hmm. a 50s housewife, or I'm going to get into just kind of like retro things because that's when women looked like women or, and then it just became, it, gets kind of pretendy and it gets kind of silly because you've got some people pick sort of Jane Austen and they want to have tea parties and they want to have etiquette and they want to have, you know, whatever. And then you've got some women that pick kind of like a little house on the prairie thing and some women (laughs) pick a 1950s thing and it kind of becomes like a game of dress ups, you know? And Mm -hmm. I think we need to like think, no, right now in this moment, what does it look like to be faithful with the resources God has given this generation and the situation he's put me in. And then how can I just own this space? And I think there are a lot of women who are starting to do that, you know, like they're starting to see that and throw themselves into it. And I have no idea how it would look if we got enough women actually, you know, like get some momentum here again in this field. I think we would probably be surprised. I think it's not, it wouldn't look like 1950s and it wouldn't look like Little House on the Prairie and it wouldn't look like Jane Mm -hmm. Austen. It would look like something else here and now. And I think I'm just really excited to see what that would be. But I think we have to be willing to take risks, be creative, be innovative and be high achieving. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There are so many pursuits. I always say that I could never be bored as a homemaker. I was when I first started because whenever I first started, I didn't really know what to do with open-ended time. Up till that point, I really had like a schedule at all times. And so to just have this day that I had to figure out what to do with, that took a little bit of navigating. But then once Uh I figured out how to like be the boss of my time, I was able to come up with some things to learn. And there are so many things that I don't have time to learn, but there would be a lot that I could do with it. I'd love to hear your take on though, like how the internet affects this because there's a different element that they didn't have in Laura Ingalls time or the fifties housewife time 
where they were looking at everybody else. I'm sure to an extent, mm-hmm. obviously, they had like mm-hmm. their neighbors or whatever. But we have so many influences, it's almost hard to know what I would come up with if it yeah. wasn't for <laughs> yeah. the outside influences. Yeah. I, to be honest, I think the internet, like any tool, can be used for great evil or great good. And I think we ought to think like, okay, how can we turn a profit on this? This is like, we are the generation that God has given 10 talents to, right? Yeah, Yeah, we are. We can't go bury it in the backyard. It's like, okay, how can I turn a profit on this? So you can either spend all day, you know, thumbing through Instagram and having an envy problem, right? With all the other people who have better lives than me. Um, or at least look like they do right. on Instagram. You could do that. Or you could see this unbelievable resource where like at my fingertips, I could learn anything. I mean, I could figure out how to whatever. Um, It's mm-hmm, all right yeah. there. It's like the inspiration is there. We just have to like use it and use it productively. Mm-hmm. And so I think, yeah, finding it. There are a lot of women, I think, who feel very alone because they don't know how to be a homemaker. Their mom wasn't. Nobody taught them how. They look around themselves. Mm -hmm. They might feel really isolated. All their friends have careers. And and here they are with a little house, and they don't feel like they know anything about anything. And it does become sort of baseline. Yeah, just throw something in the crock pot, and then I guess I'm done for the day. You know, that kind (laughs) of thing. But honestly, the internet could be the thing that you then waste all the rest of your day on, or it could be a place where you go find, find a community, find women who will teach you how to do this, because now we can bridge that, that distance. And you can learn from other women around the world. And, and you can find people who can be great examples. And, you know, so I do think we have fewer excuses now, Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways. Yeah. You know, but but also there's this kind of embarrassment of riches too, where it's sort of like I don't even know where to turn because there's so much coming at me. But you want to learn anything, it's it's like right there. So I think it's kind of like you said, right at first when you have this open day, you're like, What am I gonna do? I feel like, yeah, the internet. Mm-hmm. I'm supposed to just <laughs> learn something from the internet. It's it's kind of almost too big. Um, so it, it requires discipline and right. and focus, but you know, you start just taking that first step and then all these other things open up and you figure out a little bit more what you want to learn about. And I don't know, I think it's, it's the sort of thing that we can really waste our time on or use to glorify God. Yeah, yeah. Taking a quick break from this awesome conversation to tell you about today's podcast sponsor, Azure Standard. If you have followed my channel for any amount of time, you've probably heard of Azure Standard. They are essentially a co-op based model for ordering organic groceries, meat, staple items for your pantry in your home. I have been an Azure customer for probably over a decade now. With Azure Standard, you find a local drop point, which likely will be pretty close to you because they have drops all over the country. And with that bulk purchase, you are getting a discounted price. So several people in your community will order at the same drop, buy 50 pound bags of wheat or oats or smaller quantities too. I like to get things like honey and spices and cheese. They have products that a lot of times I can't find at my local grocery store. So things like organic raw cheese, 
that's something that I simply cannot get locally. There's also good prices on things that aren't food. So I will pick up the lids for my five gallon buckets that I like to store my grains in from Azure Standard. Flour, spices, packaged meat, produce, whatever's in season, organic and inexpensive sourcing right there on Azure Standard. Azure Standard is offering a 10% off code for my listeners by using the code SIMPLEFARMHOUSE10. This is on orders over $50 that are delivered to your local drop. If you've been on the fence about checking out Azure Standard, make sure to go to azurestandard.com, use the code, find your local drop. You'll meet up with some awesome families in your community who also are passionate about living a healthy lifestyle and get really great pricing. Again, that's azurestandard.com and use the code SIMPLEFARMHOUSE10. So how have you, I'm sure you talked to a lot of women who have felt stuck at home, stuck in their homemaking. Have you seen a lot of women feel liberated by pursuing excellence in homemaking and how has that looked through different situations that you've seen? Yeah, I I have actually. And I think it's, um, there's just a lot of women, you know, like they write and tell me about how life changing it was when they <laughs> when they decided to try to own the space mm-hmm. and it's it's funny because it's like it turns out God did create us to be good at this, right. so it's like stepping into your groove almost and and obviously women have different gifts and not every woman is the same, and it's all it's gonna look different in everybody's unique situations but but this is something that God created us to do. And to be good at. And if you think of it that way, that like, I have been equipped for this. And so I'm going to embrace it. It turns out it's fun to do something that you're good at. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Yeah. It turns out that it's actually it is a very fulfilling calling. And it is really exciting. And I think that if women stop letting themselves be insecure about it, because the culture despises it so much. Like you just, you do have to be willing to swim upstream, Mm -hmm. but it turns out when you, when you are willing to swim upstream, you're stepping into the space that is your sweet spot. So it, it actually is wonderful. Yeah. I remember whenever, so currently we, my husband's been home from his job because we have this business. And so I started this business and that it's like a whole family business. So it's a little different now, but whenever my husband was working and I didn't have any other income pursuits. I remember thinking just how much value. I was never one of those people who was like, I just feel like I'm not contributing. Maybe at very first, whenever, you know, I was just yeah. pregnant, we weren't I don't know, we just were newly married. I hadn't really figured out how to help anyway, not monetarily, but just right. like cook good meals or mend yeah. something to yeah. make something more, you know, last longer. Yeah. I hadn't figured that out yeah. yet, but after that, I quickly saw that it was, it actually was a very monetarily valuable job. I was contributing a ton by all the things that I was learning just from what we right. wouldn't be buying or how far I could stretch <laughs> yeah. my husband's paycheck. I could take yeah. something small and turn it into everything we needed. And that was a very satisfying role too. I think we forget that and people are like, well, if I, if I, you know, stay home, we're going to be missing out on this, but they forget to calculate what that's actually going to contribute. Yeah. And not just, I mean, I love it that God has, has created women to basically in flesh things, right? It's like we translate. So we take something abstract and then we turn it into something 
beautiful, that tastes good and smells good, or even even just on the most basic biological level, we take the love of a man and a woman and turn it into a baby, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. We like, we enflesh things. And when you take your husband's paycheck, it's like you're taking this cold piece of paper and you're turning it into a beautiful dinner that smells amazing and tastes amazing. You know, like it's like even if it's cheap. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So it's not just like, oh, look, he gave me $10 and I gave him back 12. It's like, we make it into something that is memorable, and that cements people's loyalties. And I think that that's the thing that our culture has so lost is if you think about how much home is something that that either like cements your loves and your loyalties forever or it breaks your heart and makes you angry and it's the place of the most pain and abandonment and betrayal and everything else it's a it's a powerful position the home mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. we have sort of trained ourselves to think it's meaningless you know like i i think the modern culture we think of a home as is like a docking station you know, where you go to re mm -hmm, right. recharge for the next day. Like you go home, you crash, you watch your Netflix, and then you go back to work the next day. We don't think of the home as, as this force, right? Mm -hmm. And if all it is is a docking station and you're like, yeah, women, you have to stay there. Yeah, it's, that would be rude. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. it's, it is a lot more than that. And so the woman who is there who is creating these memories for these little people who are growing up, you're teaching them about life every day. And it it's just such a powerful position to be in. And, and we can use it for great good or great ill. Mm -hmm. you t I think it was on maybe the back of your book or something. There was a little bit of a evolution of feminism over the years. And you talked about mm -hmm. how wrong they had it, not just now, because yeah. you're, you were just talking about how, like, over the years, we have this idea that they had it all right in the 50s, but then they had their issues there, too, where I think they probably yeah. also feel, felt like it was such a stupid role, but we just had to do it type of thing. And the men were maybe, like, overbearing. <laughs> so how, I guess, if you want to give, like, a very brief history, or how do you think that we got it so wrong, and then where we are today, we're in this very, like, well, as you call it, a boring dead end currently. Yeah, <laughs> yes. Um, I do think the feminist sort of tidal wave that has happened over the last century, it's really interesting when you go back and sort of look at the history of it. I think that if you basically like if you zoom way out, and this is hugely oversimplifying, I'm sure, but the Industrial Revolution really did make a huge difference in quality of life. Right. I mean, it just it really things got easier and women's roles sort of changed. And if you think about the Victorian sort of ideal woman, she doesn't do anything. She's just pretty to look at. Right. Mm -hmm. That she exists. Right. Only right. as a China doll. And that can be fun for women for a minute. Right. And then they got bored. They got sick of it. And we got first wave feminism. And I think mm -hmm. that they were reacting to a genuine problem because God made women to work. Like God handed Eve to Adam because he needed a helper in this calling of subduing the earth. 
And that's a big job. And he needed a helper. And so we know from the very beginning, women were made to work. And if you just basically then reduce them to nothing but a decorative object, there's a moment where that's fun and pleasant, particularly after, you know, like life was a lot harder and then it got easier and it's like, ooh, ta-da, I don't have to do any work. And then they just got bored and they got cooped up and then we got first wave feminism. And if you look at the 50s, a kind of similar thing had happened when the sort of mid-century post-World War II life got so much easier in the home. It was like all the little appliances and vacuums and electric stoves and all this stuff came in to make women's roles easier. And then the 50s ideal, once again, it was like women just became decorative again. And they didn't like turn a profit on all of that extra that extra boost, you know, like, yes, life got easier and they didn't raise their expectations. They just basically subsided into boredom, being decorative again, just being the kind of little pretty little woman at home. And then they, that was fun for a minute. And then we got second wave feminism just exploded out of that. And so I think that in a way, the feminists were reacting to a genuine problem, which is that Mm -hmm. women aren't supposed to just sit around and be pretty. That that will explode. And Mm -hmm. it did explode twice. (laughs) And so I think, and and now third wave feminism, they don't even know what they're talking about or what they're fighting for. (laughs) It's getting more and more confusing, yes. (laughs) They don't even know what a woman is now, which makes it very hard to fight for their rights. And so, yeah, third wave is just, I don't know, it's a huge muddle. But that first wave feminism the the sort of the suffragettes and everything, it came right after that moment where women were just supposed to be pretty and stand still and just be, you know, a pretty mm-hmm. little picture. And then the 50s, same thing. So I do think that it makes sense that the, the feminists did what they did. But I, you know, just because they were reacting to an actual problem doesn't mean they were reacting the correct way. And I, they made it a billion times worse the way they handled it. So... Yeah, it's an interesting look to see, you know, what what was happening kind of broadly when each of those movements really hit. And especially in the 50s, it was, you know, Betty Friedan wrote The Feminine Mystique, where she just described how miserable all the women were and how they're all just hopeless and they all just sit at home and they think, is this all? And they're all on antidepressants. And her solution was they need to go get jobs. And then that was the sort of Mm -hmm. push into the workforce. (laughs) And I don't think it, I mean, if you look at it, women haven't gotten happier. It's not like the jobs fixed it. Mm -mm. So, I mean, one of the things in in my book I was looking at is just the percentage of women on antidepressants in the 50s versus now. It's gone up, Mm -hmm. (laughs) not down. And so if that was the premise is look at how miserable women are at home. They need to go to the office. They're still miserable. Right. So. I guess the idea was that they would find some purpose just by having the job, which could I could see the point, but there are so many pursuits in the home. You actually talk about having almost like an entrepreneurial vision because yeah. we don't get that checklist. We all have our unique yeah. situations. Yeah. So we need vision. We need creativity to find how we're going to express that in our own homes. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and I think women are really good at learning from each other. You know, like you see something that your friend is doing, you're like, that's a great idea. And I can incorporate that. And 
once you get a bunch of women like all doing this, it is phenomenal. Like it is amazing how they spur each other on. I mean, I suppose you can also get the jealousies and rivalries and stuff when things go weird. But I mean, like we actually learn a lot from each other. We're inspired by each other. And it's just a really important, impressive force for, I think we could really make a huge dent in this culture if women decided to own this space. Because if you think about, I mean, the women put a dent in the culture the other direction, I think we could actually build it back up if we were if we were determined to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally agree. I want to take a break from this episode to tell you about this month's sponsor, Tubes & Co. Now, if you've been listening to this podcast a while, you've definitely heard of Tubes & Co. I actually have recently sold my mom and my two sisters on Tubes & Co. makeup. We were on a girl's trip and we were sitting in the hotel room talking about our makeup and they were on their phones quickly ordering it because I love it. I love it because it not only is natural and uses quality ingredients like grass-fed tallow and oils and things that you recognize and nothing that you don't and that's really bad for your skin and bad for your health. It can go into your skin, which is your body's largest organ, and actually affect your health whenever you're not using natural things. But not only that, it actually works. So I just had to update my foundation for my winter skin. I have to always get like a darker shade in the summer. And I also got the Tubes & Co Mascara. I hadn't tried that yet. I have their bronzer, their highlighter. I have like their whole line of makeup now. I keep adding to it. I really love the primer that goes underneath the foundation. And of course the skincare, especially right now in the winter, my skin needs the extra hydration. And so I've been loving their tallow balm and their oil cleanser, the Sea Buckthorn oil cleanser. It also moisturizes and cleanses. I can't say enough good things about the company and their products. So they're made in America by a small company. I'm actually now friends with the owner as well. And just a genuinely awesome company that you can feel great about supporting and also the products are amazing. So head on over to tubesandco.com to check out their organic skincare, whether you're in need of moisturizers, cleansers, or their makeup, you can use the code farmhouse to get a discount over at tubesandco.com. So where do you recommend people go, women go for examples to gain a vision if this is something that they've just really been pretty confused on or don't have any good examples in their own lives that they can look to. Of course, there's the internet, but do you have any resources, books? Obviously, you have books. <laughs> yes, true. Um, I don't I don't know, to be honest. I feel like every woman learns differently. Like, I know for me, I can get really inspired, like, practically inspired by honestly just studying history. I remember one of the things when I was in college, my thesis, my senior thesis was on the relationship between theology and the treatment of women in various cultures. And I was, I was researching Reformation Holland. And I was just like, this is the coolest thing I've ever heard because it was, so it was like Holland during the Reformation, it was more thoroughly reformed than a lot of the other places on the continent where the Reformation was working its way out. And reading these letters 
from foreigners who visited Holland. It was the coolest thing because it was like they would write home and say, you would not believe these women because their houses are clean and beautiful and their husbands seem to like them. And the women themselves are incredibly beautiful. And also they're allowed to talk and their husbands seem to respect their opinions. And you've never seen anything like this. <laughs> and it was just like reading about their housekeeping and, and all this kind of, it was just really interesting. And I was like, wouldn't that be cool if there was a community of Christian women who were blowing the minds of everybody outside that, you know, it's like, you wouldn't believe these high achieving, beautiful women. And that was just really fun reading those accounts. And like, for me, that, that helps me to sort of set a vision of like, oh, okay, okay, I think I can see what would be good. But like other other women, that's not how they learn. It's like they need somebody right there showing them. And so I would just say, figure out like for yourself, how, how do you learn? Some women really need somebody to kind of hold their hand a little bit more until they know what they're doing. And if that's you, I would say, just see if there's an older woman in the church. Look for my sister when she was she graduated from college and she had time. So she was like, I'm just going to try to get good at various homemaking pursuits. I'm going to learn how to upholster things. I'm going to learn how to, you know, knit and crochet and sew and like, just, I'm going to figure it out. And she found a little old lady who named Gladys, I think, or something like Gladys who knew how to tat and she was old. And so she would just go over to her house and she would teach her how to tat. And she learned how, you know, find somebody who knows what they're doing and get them to teach you. And if you're the sort of person who can just like look at Instagram and then you're off, you know, you know what you're doing, then then do that. But I would just try to figure out, you know, like how is it that you are the most inspired and how, how can you learn? And I look around for older women who can who can walk you through it, teach you to make sourdough or you know, or if you're the kind of person that can just look online and find a YouTube tutorial and, and then you're off to the races. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody is different. I think the key probably is setting up your vision. Why does this matter? Does this matter? And then once you're very clear on that, pursuing it will be, you can set that out once you're, you know, more confident in that. Okay. This actually is a gig that matters. This is not <laughs> yes. just some yes. boring thing that I'm resigned to because this is right. what I have to do. Yeah. yeah. Any any tips for setting up that vision? Or yeah, absolutely. I, I like to work backwards on, on anything, on any project. I want to know what is the final goal. And then I work my way back to mm -hmm. the starting point. And um, that's just kind of how I like to do it. So I know that when I wrote Even Exile, I did purposely try to keep it the big picture because I was like, this is a really big vision and it's going to take thousands of women to flesh this out. This cannot be reduced to one single little checklist that everybody's going to follow. And so I did try to keep it from descending into the checklist thing. But to be honest, I, I kind of feel like there are some women who need more practical stuff. I've kind of felt like I think there might be a second book that I need to write because for me, once I've got that big picture, that's that's all I need. And then I, I'm good to go. But I think there are a lot of women who are like, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> I, I need step one, not just the final, the final thing. So 
Yeah. And maybe at first, you know, maybe that's something that it's kind of like when I first started cooking, I needed recipes for everything. And then over time, you understand how to do things without that more rigid guide. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so I, I really think it just comes down to taking the first step, really, in anything where it's just like, once you once you jump in, and you start learning, even if it's just the basic lingo (laughs) that goes with whatever this pursuit is, then you know what to Google more, or you know what to ask, or you know, you know, so it's just kind of, yeah, take that, take that first step, take a class, sign up for a class. I don't know, my, my daughter just graduated from college in May. And so she had, she saved up and went to London and did a introduction to French cooking course for three months at the Cordon Bleu in London. Oh, wow. Which is, she just got back this week, which is really fun. So she just cooked for us last <laughs> night. It was very exciting. Oh, that, that's um, the real bonus. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. But it's just like, she just, her, her take was, I mean, she's, she grew up cooking, but she was like, this is something I'm going to be doing for the rest of my life. Right. I mean, you get hungry every single day. You have to feed right. yourself every single day. Why not just do that? And, and learn something that is going to set you up to be able to continue. And she doesn't want to be a chef or work in a restaurant. Right. But but she's like, this is a life skill, right? uh And so, yeah, sign up for something, take a class, find a older woman to teach you, go to the library and check out a book. You know, there's just a lot of resources and there's so many different fields in homemaking. I mean, like you said, life is too short. You know, there's so many things Mm -hmm. that I wish I could get good at. And I know it's just not going to happen before heaven. So (laughs) yeah, I just to name a few, I want to, I want to quilt, which I know I don't have time in my season of life. And I want to master various types of croissants. I've made croissants, but (laughs) there's like all of these different styles of croissants that I'm like, if I had time to laminate dough, that is what I would do. (laughs) That is so far down the list. I have a lot of other things that come up above that Uh one, but just uh-huh. to name a few, there are just so yeah. many. Oh, I know. And I just like gardening is the thing for me that is always like, okay, next right. year, next year, next year my is year. the one where my garden will actually be better. Uh-huh. But I have a feeling it's not this year again. But yeah, it's <laughs> like there's podcasts, there's books, there's, you know, and I have this podcast I listen to all the time and I hope springs eternal that this year my garden will be good. But yeah. Mm. <laughs> August comes and my garden is yeah mm. August, <laughs> <laughs> but I want to get better. You know, like it's it's there's so many things. You know, sewing and painting and food and decorating and upholstering and I mean it just goes on. And I just think that I love when you see women who are creating. It is it's just it's wonderful. It's and it's so inspiring mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in all different directions. So yeah, yeah. Well, thank you so much. This has been very inspiring. I'm hoping that there are a lot of women in this who are already homemakers who maybe have thought that their role is just pointless or they maybe they're new homemakers. That's the time when I struggled the most yeah. and can't quite see the value that they're adding or how they can pursue right. that next step. Tell us where we can best follow along with you, resources you offer, and uh, we'll also be leaving all of that down in the show okay. notes as well. Yeah, sure. My sister and I have a podcast. It is nowhere near this professional. (laughs) It's called What Have You. (laughs) And we just record in the car while we're drinking coffee. So that one, we just talk a lot about, yeah, Christian living as a wife, as a mom, 
practical stuff, spiritual stuff, whatever, what have you, mm-hmm. in fact. So <laughs> yeah, what have so that's you? Called, <laughs> cool. yeah. So that's uh, what have you. Um, my books are available at Canon Press. The Even Exile documentary is, you can watch it if you have the, the Canon app. And um, I actually do. Okay. <laughs> I had it. okay. I, it's funny because I was researching you for this. I had heard you on a podcast. And so then I jotted this note down like a long time ago. And then finally this episode came about. And so I was researching to prepare for this more recently. And I was like, oh, oh, <laughs> like, I didn't know like who your sister was and yeah, your dad. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah it all comes together. <laughs> so funny. <laughs> yeah, yep, my sister yep. is Rachel Jankovic. So she's got books yeah. that can impress as well. And um, yeah, most recently I've started um, a design business. Now that I'm not teaching anymore, my youngest graduated from high school. And so I too graduated. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm selling some kitchen linens and, and, uh, that's really fun because oh, I did design cool. back when my kids were little and then it hit a phase where it was like, no, no, my, the mothering really is much more intense now. And, um, yeah, it was like, there will always be things to be designed, but there will not always be children this age in my house. So I just set that aside and, and now I'm, now I'm doing that. So anyway, that's, uh, RebeccaMerkel.com. I've got some okay. dish towels. I was I've been on a dish towel quest. So anyway. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That that is something I'm yeah. definitely gonna check out. <laughs> well, yeah, because it's it's just the most annoying thing that like dish towels, when they're cute, they seem to not work. And then when they're mm-hmm. when they yeah. work, they're just not very cute. So anyway, I, I was having that I, thought today, actually, because I was really? pulling one out of the bottom of the drawer t- as a photo mm-hmm. prop for my latest mm-hmm. recipe for my blog. And I was yeah. like, well, this is never going to get dirty because nobody's going to use it. So perfect. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. And so useless. my thing is I, I got this, this guy in India, especially weaving this cotton for me because it's a bird's eye weave, which is what you use for cloth diapers, which means it's right. absorbent and yeah. soft, but then it's printed. So it's actually cute, but you can actually use it. You see, this right, is my, right. this is my whole journey. <laughs> oh, that's cool. I didn't know that. Yeah. I'm going to have to dish check that out. Dish towels matter, right? It's a big part yeah. of your life. <laughs> hey, it's just the another thing, you know? A little, ask, and you little always niche aspect of your home that, yeah. Yeah. If you feel like you've given it all attention, check out that linen drawer. <laughs> I, know, I know. And it's a starry situation most of the time. So. Uh-huh. Yeah, mine is. <laughs> anyway. So Okay, cool. We'll leave that all down in the show notes yeah. again. Thank you right. so much for coming on. and Thanks for having me on. It was great to meet you. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Simple Farmhouse Life Podcast, and I will see you in the next one. 